Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Red and White Authority brought to you by Labatt Blue. I'm Daniela Bruce alongside Art Regner. And I don't really want to talk about that game against Edmonton Art, but we're going to bring it up a little bit. One that the Red Wings would also like to forget. Obviously, the main storyline coming out of that one is Vili Huso injured in the first period and Alex Lyon has to come in. It looked like another groin injury for Vili Huso. They officially listed it as lower body. You have to feel for the guy, number one, because he's just coming back from injury, talked about how frustrating that was for him. But now you got to look at the Red Wings goaltending situation again. And Alex Lyon has been the clear number one for a while. But it feels like we're going to have to put a lot of trust in him to be able to take the majority of these games down the stretch. Him and depending on uh, Vili, what what is up with him. And you could tell, he it was awkward. He wasn't able to stretch out. I would assume it was his left leg when he was yeah. trying to make a save and... Uh, uh, it, it looked. It just looked awkward. It did not look good. But then again, we're not doctors. But you hope uh, it's not long term. Basically, no, you, you, you hope, hope it's, it's not, not long term. But James Reimer, at least the last time he got in, played well. And the Red Wings may have to count on him too because you know we're re- reaching uncharted territory with Alex Lyon as far as games played right, in right. the season in the NHL. And so uh, they're going to need a second goaltender. They're going to need two goaltenders. Uh, the way the schedule is, it's compact, and the Red Wings are on the road a lot in this second half. So goaltending will be the key, and uh, hopefully Villy will be able to come back. Reimer will be able to spell uh, at certain points, too, and play well. And then, of course, hopefully Lyon can continue his uh, stellar play. Yeah, I mean, the Red Wings lose 8-4 to four in, in that game against Edmonton, and I am going to imagine, just knowing who Alex Lyon is, that he's going to want the net against Vancouver. And right now, no as question. we're talking, we're not exactly sure who is going to be in net for that game. But my gut tells me Alex Lyon is definitely going to want it. Yeah, I, I think so. And, and I think that Derek Lalone and Alex Lyon, we've talked about it before, have a really good relationship. Do, you yeah. know, they seem to have a... Is it symbiotic relationship? They seem to be really connected. And uh, if Alex Lyon wants the net, he is definitely going to get it. The only good thing about the the, the game against, pardon me, not Vancouver, but Edmonton, is that Connor McDavid has not had a real great year for Connor McDavid. He should have 100 points by now. But six assists, if you're a fantasy owner, you got to be loving that. He really picked it up, of course, against the Red Wings. A nice 6.9 to pad his stats. That's great. (laughs) Tonight in the third period, I'm upset. I'm going to be Connor McDavid, damn it. And he was. He was outstanding. Yep. That he was. And Edmonton's on quite the run, too, so all the credit to them, right? But we look at Vancouver tonight, and the Red Wings just had Vancouver in town last Saturday at home, and that was quite the game. And it got chippy. We saw Zadorov get the match penalty, a couple of other fights breaking out throughout the game. Alex Dabrinkit, perhaps the game-changing moment, dropping the gloves with Ian Cole. Just a lot going on in that game. So I think there's going to be a little bit of bad blood. There's a lot of emotion, and I'm not sure how aware people are of it. Quinn Hughes wanted to be drafted by the Red Wings. I had his, I had family members tell me the Red Wings were going to regret the day that they didn't draft him. And, you know, so he, right in the backyard, you know, so he's going to, he's psyched up. He wants to play. And then Philip Hironik, who did not want to leave Detroit, and you know, it's a good trade. That, that's a good trade. It would happen. It worked out for both parties. Axel though, like, Sunday yeah. Pelica is going to be yeah. a player too, so don't don't worry about that. But I'm saying he was all geeked up, and when he scores coming out of the penalty oh, box, man. you're thinking, oh my gosh, you know, he had three points in that game, and uh, so emotions are high. There's there's something, and it might go back because you know they had a playoff series in 2002, and 
Vancouver goes up two games to none. Detroit wins Half four more Half of our team away. wasn't even born in no, 2002. No, but, but I mean, yeah, but but, but Steve Eisenman was. <laughs> I know. And he played in that series. So I, but what I'm saying is, is there's a little bit of history between these two teams. And, you know, because Detroit was in the Western Conference for, you know, until 2013, I believe it is. But uh, so I'm not surprised it got a little chippy. I, you know, there's a little bit, as I said, there's a little bit of backstory. I'm looking forward to the... Uh, uh, the game against uh, uh, Vancouver because the Red Wings, if they've done anything well this year, it's bounced yeah. back from a dismal performance. And I think they would say the third period was a bit of a dismal performance. They let it get away from them. The Red Wings on this Western Canada road trip right now, which ends in Seattle taking on the Kraken. And right now we are joined by the Seattle Kraken radio play-by-play announcer, Everett Fitzhugh. Everett, what's up? Yeah, no, thank you for having me. It's uh Anytime the Red Wings and, and Kraken play, I, I'd be lying to you if I said I didn't circle it on my calendar to uh, to get ready for it. But I, it's always fun. I always love playing the team that I grew up rooting for. And thank you guys for, for having me to, to preview the game. Yeah, we're so excited to talk about it with you. And you've been doing great things over in Seattle since they became a team in the NHL. And it's been a fun stretch for them. But I want to talk about you a little bit before we get to the hockey part. You grew up in Detroit, as you mentioned, a Red Wings fan. How did that come about? What got you into the sport of hockey? You know, it was it was a little bit by chance. I remember I was early elementary school, third, fourth grade, I think third grade. Um, I a lot of my friends played hockey in class. I never played hockey uh, as an only child of a single mom. My mom always thought it was too dangerous, so I was I was a baseball kid growing up. But all my friends were hockey fans, and I remember going home to watch a game one day. And they were playing the Oilers. At the time, the Oilers had two black players. And that was huge for me to see that in Mike Greer and George The Rock. So they became kind of one of my favorite teams. Obviously, the Wings are my hometown team, but I always followed the Oilers. I became an Oilers fan because of that. Then they added Anson Carter a few years later. And then they had Sean Brown and Joaquin Gage. So they had five black players on the same team. And I think... Those late 90s, early 2000s Oilers teams had like seven, eight black players um, over the course of a few seasons. So that was huge for me to see. And that is what really fostered my my love and my fandom for the game. How did you then decide that maybe I might not be a player, but why did you decide to become a broadcaster, make hockey your life? Well, I, I, I had this revelation when I did make my high school baseball team that the Tigers weren't going to be drafting me anytime <laughs> soon. So I said, you know what? What else can we do? So um, I, I was a sports-obsessed kid, as many preteens, teenagers are. So I got to college, and I always knew that I wanted to work in sports. I never knew what I wanted to do. You look at some of the great play-by-play announcers that we have, I didn't know how to become a play-by-play announcer. You know, I thought the the George Blahas and the Ken Daniels and the, the Ken Cows of the world were just made in laboratories somewhere. How do you become a play-by-play guy? I actually wanted to be like a Stuart Scott on the Sports Center desk. So when I was in college, uh, my buddy pulled me off the couch one day and said, hey, I found this organization. Um, I went to Bowling Green State University and and – uh, BGRSO, they do sports broadcasting. So I went to a meeting. I loved what I heard. And everybody in that group wanted to do football and basketball, the, the quote-unquote mm-hmm. sexy sports, right? There were probably three of us 
in the group who were even hockey fans, let alone could make sense of it. So selfishly, it provided me an opportunity to get more opportunities on air. And I did my first uh, game, Bowling Green versus uh, Alaska Fairbanks, my freshman year. And I fell in love with it. And that's when I decided that I was going to become a hockey broadcaster. So tell us about two things. I'm going to give you a two-part question. One, when you grew up a Red Wings fan, so were you listening to Ken Cal and Paul Woods and then Ken Daniels and Mickey Redmond? Did they inspire you or kind of guide you to the career that you had? And tell us about your first job and how you ended up there, your first play-by-play job. Yeah. Yeah, so I um, those guys actually were very instrumental for me and and Ken and Ken and um, a lot of George Blaha as well with the Pistons. But I think with us being so close to Windsor, I grew up with Hockey Night in Canada. So I watched some of the great Canadian broadcasters for years growing up. You know, you watch, you know, the the Chris Cuthberts and Jim Houston and Bob Cole, a lot of those guys that that we hear on a weekly basis. So that is what really got me, I guess, into the sport um, as from a play-by-play perspective. And I think what I really listened to as a kid was a lot of baseball. So Ernie Harwell, that was the soundtrack to my summer growing up. So, like I said, I didn't know how you became a play-by-play announcer until I got to college. So I was focusing more on behind the desk, hosting, being in studio, like I said, Stuart Scott. Uh, so it wasn't until I got to college that I realized um, that play-by-play was an option. You could actually learn and, and train to become uh, a play-by-play announcer. As far as my first job goes, um, I, I got the, the job at Bowling Green my senior year, my, my fourth year in school. I ended up being a fifth-year senior, so I was play-by-play my first year or my fourth year, my fifth year in school, and then my first year out of college, so three total years. And then uh, me and my best friend at the time, uh, he was actually, you are both the primary color analyst for the hockey team. So we were one and two for this play-by-play job. So it was kind of like, is this going to ruin our friendship here? Like, what, what are we going to do? So um, we both did some Bowling Green High School play-by-play games, and that served as our audition. Um, and then I I got the job uh, the, going into my senior year, 2009, 2010. So that was my, I guess, my first play-by-play job. And then my first job out of college was with the USHL League office in Chicago. And then – you moved to the uh, Cincinnati Cyclones of the ECHL. I've seen them play the walleye many, many times. Uh, yeah. And, and when I, but you know, like a lot of people, not only are you doing play-by-play, but you're also the director of media relations, and you're so good at it that you win the award as the media relations guy of the year. Uh, <laughs> did, did you ever think, okay, I like play-by-play, but maybe media relations is for me? You know what I actually did, and, and it's funny, I, I'll, I have another potentially long-winded story that I'll see if I can cut short. When <laughs> I was used to long-winded of, stories on this podcast, just so you know. We can take <laughs> it. <laughs> when I was um, graduating college, I was applying for a job in the ECHL out in uh, Bakersfield, California. And I was, uh, it was me and another guy, um, and we were the two finalists for this job. And I didn't hear back for weeks. And I'm thinking to myself, I didn't get the job. I didn't get the job. They finally call me and say, hey, you didn't get the job. 
<laughs> but here's the reason why. Um, you know, we, we look at the, the broadcasting. If I had to, this is the guy that was hiring. He said, if I had to determine the best broadcaster, it was probably you. But the guy that we're going with has PR experience. He knows how to build a website. He knows how to write press releases. He can do social media, digital media, which is at the time, 2000. Uh, 11, 12, that was where the world was going. And I didn't have any of that experience. So I was, you know, understandably a little ticked off, but I, I think it really lit a bit of a fire under me to get more of those tools that I'm going to need for the rest of my career. So I ended up going to the USHL league office where I had no broadcasting, but I was doing community events. I was doing event management. I was doing press releases. I built a lot of the social media channels um, from scratch that, uh, you know, again, we were navigating Facebook and YouTube and all of that together back then, right? So um, I really learned a lot of those skills. So then I go for the USHL League office through the Youngstown Phantoms of the USHL for a year, and then I go to Cincinnati. And when I was in Cincinnati, that is where I think I learned a lot about the business of sports. That's where I learned it was more than just play-by-play. It was more than just broadcasting. It was about marketing the sport. In Cincinnati is not a hockey town, per se. You've got football. You've got baseball. High school sports are there. You've got two major colleges um, in the city, and Ohio State and Kentucky are uh, two hours uh, on either side of the border, right? So – a double-A hockey team in Cincinnati, Ohio, isn't going to be at the top of folks' list. So it was my job to to help promote and market and sell the team. So it was, it was a huge wake-up call for me, and it allowed me, I think, to have a better understanding of, of the world of sports. And I'm not going to lie to you, there was a time when I thought, you know what, I, I was applying for NHL PR jobs. I did apply for a couple of – PR assistant jobs in different sports because if play-by-play doesn't work out, there are so few chairs in the NHL. Um, maybe PR is is a way, is an avenue in for me uh, to, to get to that next level. You know, I, I love that you brought that up because I think even today, kids that are going through the process and they dream of being a broadcaster in some, yeah. some aspect, right? It's not just being a broadcaster and you kind of have to learn that going through the process on your own, right? Like now it's being able to edit, being able to do all the marketing things that you just talked about, being able to put your own stuff together is so important. So just getting all the skills and being so versatile, it's so important in this industry. And hey, it paid off for you getting that lesson early. It, it, it paid <laughs> off for you. <laughs> well, and, and listen, I, I tell folks all the time too, because so many people, you know, we work in sports. We get to see some of the best events. We get to see some of the best moments that bring us as people together. Um, and people always say, oh, man, you get to go watch all the games. You get to go watch yeah. this and that. I'm like, listen, I get to watch it, but I'm also working. I'm also calling games. And there's so many people who want to work in sports and who want to be involved in sports, but they don't know how. And that is, you know, I've done a lot of, of talking to different classes and kids and all of that. And that is the one thing that I tell people is that you don't have to play to have a successful year, uh, career rather, mm -hmm. uh, in, in sports. You can be a broadcaster. You can work in PR. You can do sales, training, equipment. Um, you know, you can get in coaching. I, I love the story of, of Brad Holmes, the Lions GM, was yeah. a PR assistant for the Rams. You know what I mean? And now look at him. <laughs> you know what I mean? So 
it's it's you don't have to play this sport uh, or any sport to have a successful and prosperous career within the sporting world. Well, you're a native Detroiter, which means we love you. And <laughs> with that said, I mean, you historic, the athletic article that was written about you, catch yeah. the, the crack and catch wind of it. And uh, lo and behold, you become the first full time African-American broadcaster in NHL history. Uh, can you describe that process? And when you're going through something like that, are you aware that I might be on the cusp of history? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think for, for the second part of that, I mean, you're always aware of it, but you try not to over overthink it too right. much. Um, I do understand that there is a certain response responsibility and i know that sounds kind of arrogant and cocky and i apologize for that but <laughs> for being all. the first black broadcaster in the league we're over a hundred years into this league and we're still having a number of firsts in a lot of different areas the first black whatever the first female whatever right we're still trying to break down a lot of these barriers so it's always in the back of your mind especially for someone like me who kept the track of all of this stuff i used to keep track of all the black players in the nhl i used to keep track of um you know were there any black broadcasters black coaches people who looked like me within this sport because you know this can be a very lonely place at times and and you look wherever you can to find that camaraderie, to find a little bit of that familiarity. So there is a little bit of that in the back of your mind, but you always want to be considered the best broadcaster, not the best black broadcaster. Right. Um, and I've always been fortunate that in my career, my colleagues have always viewed me as an equal. Now, I know a lot of people who uh, have forged their own paths through this game. That is not the case. I, I had a wonderful conversation with Pierre Edward Belmar, uh, who's a, a black player for us who uh, is from France. And the amount of racism that he experienced growing up in France and then coming over here to the States and still um, having to, to navigate through those waters. I mean, it, 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 that story is so, um, it's, it's told so much by a lot of people of color in this sport. So you have to be aware of it. You have to continue talking about it because if you don't, you're going to forget your history. You're going to forget the, the uh, number of strides and the great distance that people have come to make this uh, an accepting sports for, a sport for everyone. Now, as far as me getting the job in Seattle, that was a, a wild ride, and one of our owners is uh, the, the famous Hollywood producer, Jared Bruckheimer. And when I met him for the first time, he was, you know, telling me that we, we, I loved hearing your story, and, you know, we're so happy to have you here. And I said, Jerry, I don't think you could have written a script better than how I got this job here in Seattle. Um, it was in the middle of a pandemic, and our CEO, Todd Lewicki, emailed me personally now in my world the ceo of a sports team doesn't email you directly and that doesn't happen it's usually an assistant or an hr or something like that so when i see you know the, the generic cod at uh, nhl seattle or whatever the uh, was i'm thinking all right whatever this this has got to be spam how much money am i about to be out here <laughs> so i didn't even reply to it and he emailed me back maybe a few days later 
And he was like, hey, just want to make sure you got my last message. And I'm like, you know what? What's the worst? It's only money, right? So I, <laughs> I, I call my uh, I call my mom and my, my girlfriend at the time, now my wife. I'm like, is this real? Like, should I just apply to this? And uh, my, my now wife was like, eh, what do you got to lose? Just do it. So I emailed him back. Turns out it was him. We had a wonderful conversation. He said he read the article that was written in The Athletic about me, and he wanted to know more about my story. So we set up a good phone call, had a great call, and he said, hey, you know, uh, I'm going to keep in touch. I'm going to keep tabs on you. I, I'd love to to have you be a part of what we're building here. So keep your head up and, and do the right thing, and we'll be in touch. So I'm like, all right, you know, that's, that's great to hear. I'm in my fifth year in Cincinnati, and I'm thinking that I'm not really going to go anywhere anytime soon so that was a it was a good uh conversation to have well then now COVID hits and the whole world goes upside down and i end up getting furloughed from my job uh in in cincinnati so my my wife and i were were in cincy and she asked me one day we're at a kroger and she goes uh, do you ever hear about uh, that seattle job Did they ever get back to you and i'm like they're in the middle of a pandemic no one's trying to hire a broadcaster right now I kid you not, we get home an hour and a half later and open up my email. Adi has emailed me. Oh my God. And he says, Hey, I know this whole world has gone crazy right now, but we're still building for the future. So I would love to um, get the process in motion of getting interviews done and see if we can bring you on. So after I changed my pants and picked my job off the floor, uh, I have three, four interviews. They fly both of us out to Seattle. We meet everyone. They they were touring us around the new arena site. And on July 14th, 2020, I got the phone call that I'd been uh, hired for my dream job, a broadcaster in the NHL. So it was uh, it was a, a very emotional and, and unbelievably fun and nerve-wracking ride. You know, just going, it, it's incredible. That story's incredible. And having it happen during 2020 is probably, you know, yeah. no one really expected that. Right. So that that's amazing that it was able to come down that way. But going back, like being the first black broadcaster, right, the first full time play by play in the NHL. And you mentioned just you have to be aware of it, obviously. And yeah. just to relate to you on that note, I feel like I get some of that like being a female broadcaster. Right. And I always feel like the most important thing is knowing that you're inspiring a younger generation is, is the thing that you have to be really aware of. So when you think of the young Everett in Detroit or in Windsor watching yeah. Hockey Night in Canada or, you know, whatever it was at that time, that you're inspiring the, the next generation of those kids. And I'm imagining you feel that same responsibility. I do. I do. And I think I have always told people, I don't think anyone really sets out to be the first of anything. Right. But if you do find yourself in that position. I think you owe it to your your culture. I think you owe it to your sport. And I think more importantly, you owe it to yourself to, to carry um, that responsibility and to help mm-hmm. move that process along. You know, growing up, I didn't have a whole lot of, of black influences within the game of hockey to look up to. From a broadcasting perspective, there was David Amber, there was John Saunders, um, on the ice, you know, I mentioned the likes of, of, of um, Anson Carter, Mike Greer, George The Rock, Jerome McGinley, Kevin Weeks, Fred Brathwaite. But again, they were few and far between. So I'm, I'm looking at myself. You know, I'm, I'm going to the barber shop every other week getting my hair cut, and I'm the only one who wants to talk about the grind line, who wants to talk about <laughs> the power play, right? No one's trying to talk about that, you know, within my social circles. So 
again, like I said, it, it can feel like a very lonely place. So to be able to to have had conversations with a number of, of people of color of, of all different races and backgrounds in Seattle saying like, hey, I'm not black, but I'm Filipino, but I'm Hispanic, but I'm whatever it may be. And I didn't think that there was a place for folks who look like me in this sport. So thank you for doing what you're doing. It's a very humbling thing. And, and you try to to carry that responsibility with the respect that it deserves. And you try to give this sport and, and give the people that may look up to you the opportunity to see that, hey, you belong in this right. sport. And not only do you belong, not only are you welcome, but you're needed within this space. And that is what I try to do. Ever real quick, and I know we want to get to some hockey questions, but be, just before oh, you, left, good. <laughs> you left for Seattle, you uh, narrated the audio book of the Willie O'Ree story. And his story, yeah. I've met him many times, an inspirational man. You know, he... He didn't even let what the Bruins know. He was blind in one eye because he didn't yeah. he, he played and was good. Uh, what did you take away maybe from that experience? Because you're a pioneer, but he is the ultimate pioneer. Well, when I was reading, I'll tell you this, uh, the very first couple chapters uh, of, of that book, when he talks about growing up uh, and, and playing the game, and then he gets into you know, his life as a minor league baseball player. A lot of folks don't know that he was a really good baseball player as well. And he went down to Georgia uh, for minor league spring training or for um, spring training. And uh, that was the first time he ever experienced racism, American racism in the South. And I had to stop reading because I was tearing up because it was so emotional and it was so, um, it was so hard to try to put into words and to try to convey the pain that he must have felt. And and this is a guy who, without him, without Herb Carnegie, without a number of pioneers, way before I was even a blip on anyone's radar, I would not be here. I wouldn't be having this conversation with you. We would not be doing this, you know. So it was really humbling. And it wasn't until I finished, because that was another whirlwind, by the way, I was asked to read that, uh, the, the narrate the novel the week that we were packing up our apartment in Cincinnati oh, and man. moving across country. <laughs> so they were like, hey, are you in Seattle yet? We have a studio set up for you. We'd love to get you to record it. And I said, well, actually, we're still in Cincy. We're leaving here in about five days. Great. It'll take you three. So <laughs> my, my wife is like packing up our lives by herself. And I'm in a radio studio for three, four, six hours a day recording this book. So, again, my, my wife is the real one. She sounds like right the now. real superstar of really? this story, actually. She is, <laughs> oh, no, yes. They, yes she Why is the real. Don't let these silky pipes fool you. She's the superstar. Well, when, when, when um, Women's Month, when that yeah, comes we'll get on, her yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But no, reading, reading that book and, and narrating that book, it, it, it was so cool. And I didn't realize the weight of what I was able to accomplish until I finished and I looked back and I actually went back and I read it again. I read the book again and it just, his life is so phenomenal. It is so inspiring. Um, and, and he is a person that I don't think gets the amount of, of attention and uh, respect that I think a story like his deserves. And it's so great that he's in the Hall of Fame now after a, a long push to get him in there. And he is he is so universally loved and adored 
and, and respected around this game. And it, we're in Boston right now, actually. We play the Bruins tomorrow. Um, and I'm looking forward to, to seeing his number hang up in the Raptors. Uh, and it, it's, it's really cool to, to be able to, to say that I was able to do that. All right, I'm going to try to make the switch here to talking hockey after such a great story. It's, it's excellent. But, of course, we're in the middle of this hockey season, right? And, and the yeah. Kraken, have, they were maybe the surprise team last season, right, getting into the playoffs. And they're having their ups and downs this year. But when we find ourselves talking about the way the Red Wings are built this year, we always find ourselves bringing up the Kraken of last year, having the balance scoring throughout the lineup. And right now the Red Wings, last night Joe Valeno scored his 10th goal of the season, which means we now have 11 players that have 10-plus yeah. goals on the season. I'm just wondering if you see any similarities between the two teams. Maybe it's not of this year, but the way that they're built. I definitely do because I think, you know, Steve Eisenman, you go to Tampa, right? Like all of that work he did in Tampa to build that lightning team through the draft and, and uh, through minor moves and minor pieces, you're seeing that done with the Red Wings. It is a very homegrown crop of players. And I think in Seattle, it's the same way. There isn't that big free agency signing. When you look at the Kraken, there is Andre Burakovsky, there's Philip Grubauer, who was signed. But probably our best signing offensively that we've seen in the short history of our team has been Yanni Gord, Oliver Bjorkstrand, Ellie Tolvanen, right? Players who um, were, were maybe not given the right opportunities in other places. They were, uh, you know, Ellie Tolvanen was a first-round draft pick. Nashville let him go, and then he comes in, and he's one point away from setting a new career high in scoring. And when you can pick off a number, you know, first-round draft pick from the – uh, waiver pile last season. That's going to be huge. But I think that the similarities between the Red Wings and the, and the Kraken, there isn't that massive game breaker. He, obviously, Dylan Larkin, you know, the things that he can do, Matty Beneers, you know, Jared McCann, but there, there's no McDavid, there's no McKinnon. You have four second lines, right? You've got a very balanced scoring attack. And I think Last season, when you look at the way the Kraken went about scoring goals, they had 13 players on their roster setting career highs in either goals, assists, or points. Daniel Sprong, who a lot of fans <laughs> in Seattle are very upset we love uh, that is no One longer with favorites. us, he had 46 points in 11 and a half minutes of ice time. 46 yeah. points in 11 and a half minutes of average ice time. So the, those, those type of players, when you come together, when you bring them in a locker room like we're seeing in Detroit this year, they, it's something clicks. And it's almost like Vegas, the Golden Knights. Right. They were the island the of their team we bring up. They were, yeah. You're right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, there's, there's a couple of models now. Either you luck out in the draft and you get an elite-level superstar or you get yeah. Uh, a, a team where you can roll four lines. And you know, it's interesting. You bring up an interesting point. When you look at Steve Eiserman and Ron Francis, they're mm -hmm. contemporaries. They're almost joined at the hip. Statistically, I think their statistics are almost identical. <laughs> it's no secret, I think, that the way they're building teams are very similar. I mean, I'm not surprised that the Red Wings and Kraken have this philosophy of four good lines, uh, you know, obviously good defense, solid in net. Real quickly, I wanted to ask you about Matty Bermier's sophomore yeah. slump. I know he's been kind of banged up a little bit, but what's going on with him? You know what? I, I honestly, I, I think the sophomore slump is is a thing, and I don't say that you know tongue in cheek. I think 
he came in last year. He was a part of this team that, like I said, was able to score seemingly at will. They outscored their problems. But now Matty Beneers, he wins the Calder Award, and now teams are game planning for him. And, you know, he's barely 22 years old. So he's got a long career ahead of him, hopefully a long career in Seattle ahead of him. But you're starting to see over the last few games, last few weeks, He's starting to break out of the slump a bit. He might not be scoring. He might not be racking up points. But you're seeing the decision-making there. Uh, and I know that he got hit by Cole Sillinger against Columbus a few weeks ago. That knocked him out for a bit. Uh, so you're, you're, you're wanting to make sure that you're staying healthy. But I think for him, it's going to be a big offseason. I think if he can finish this year, put up a few more points, but then go into the offseason, put on some weight, get in the gym, We've seen a number of players do that over the course of their career, and it has springboarded them to success down the road. So Maddie's going to be fine. His attitude is great. He is still that proverbial first on, last off guy. He's always working on things. But I think this is just him having to get through learning the league. Yeah, you know, we kind of saw the same thing with Lucas Raymond, another right. comparable. I was just there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, and th- he's having a great year this year. He looks, he looks like he's fitting in really well and really adjusting to the NHL game. Just the strength, the speed, and all of that that comes with the mm-hmm. learning process. So, I agree with you. Veneers is going to be fine. But just looking at Seattle as a whole to wrap up the hockey talk here: twenty-two, twenty-one, and ten on the season. Right now, four points out of a wild card spot in the West. What do you foresee for the rest of the season for the Kraken? Are they going to be there at the end making a playoff push? Or what do you see with them right now? I, I see a team that is very close in the locker room. They understand that this is going to be the group to get it done. And last year, you didn't change a whole lot. You didn't want to upset the apple cart. In the summertime, you added a couple of good pieces on the outside. But for the most part, that core, Jared McCann, Yanni Gord, uh, Jaden Schwartz, Jordan Everly, those are going to be the guys that are going to get you there up front. Defensively, Vince Dunn, Adam Larson, Pitt Gold, Joey DeCord came on in the absence of Philip Grubauer. Grubauer came back last night and had a, a great game as well. So I foresee this team being there to the end. Now, the schedule is not easy because they're in a stretch right now of 14 consecutive games against teams who are either in or within four points of a playoff spot. So it's not going to be easy to get there, and they're going to have to play a number of teams that they've struggled with this season. They've got a a game left with Edmonton. They've got all three of their games left with Winnipeg this season. They've got two more with Minnesota. They've got two more with Arizona, and they've got one more with St. Louis. So all of those teams are going to be right there um, in the Western Conference. There's seven teams battling for two spots in the wild card. So I think Seattle will be there. I do think it's going to be a dramatic, you know, our last four-game road trip of the season is a central division trip to Dallas, St. Louis, Winnipeg, and Minnesota. And I, this team probably will make or break in that last week of the season. So if they can stay healthy the rest of the year, and I know that's the cliche say that we all say, But if they can stay healthy, if they can continue their defensive first mentality, I think this team can sneak in there. They can moonwalk into the playoffs (laughs) into that second seed, and you never know what happens after that. Okay, Everett, we want to switch up because, you know, you're from Detroit, southeast Michigan. And, you know, I'm sure, like, when I think Seattle's, I guess the first thing that comes to my mind maybe is grunge, the wave which Michigan took from Seattle. 
and also, uh, or from Washington, actually. And yeah. I, I think of uh, of food and all that. What do you miss about Detroit? I mean, is you like screw grunge? I love Motown. <laughs> uh, I, you know, oh, yeah. I, too much fish out here. Give me a Coney dog. I mean, what, what what's going on when you think of Detroit? So when I think of Detroit, and, and I, I mean this in the nicest, most sincere way possible, as a Midwestern kid, as a Detroiter, those are my people. Like, I, I miss <laughs> the friendliness. I can, when I ask you how your day is, I genuinely want to know, how's your day? How's it going? What's going on? You know, Seattle is getting to there. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of transplants who live in Seattle. Seattle's a lot of friendlier than I think people give it credit for. Everyone talks about the Seattle freeze, but I, I do miss that Midwestern hospitality. Um, I listen, I love Seattle, but I have not been able to find good pizza in Seattle and I, I need some good soul food as well. And I haven't been able to find a lot of good soul food out in Seattle. So I, I need some, some of that good cooking as well. Everett, we appreciate you taking the time to join us. It's been a pleasure catching up with you. It was great to see you when Seattle was in town and enjoy calling the rest of the season with the Kraken. Thank you. Hey, this is a pleasure. Thank you guys so much for having me. Another big thank you to Everett for joining us, Art. He's fascinating. I absolutely love his story. And you can tell that he truly just has a passion for the NHL, loves the game. That's the word. You know, we're on the same page today, Daniela, because that's exactly what I was thinking, too. You know, you brought up Lucas Raymond when we talked about Manny Berniers, and I was thinking Lucas Raymond. And that's what Everett. Passion is the first word that comes to my mind. Yeah, and just the the love he has for the city of Detroit. And you can tell he loves the Red Wings still, too. Obviously doing amazing things with the Kraken. But when he was here, when was that? The Kraken were here not too long ago when when we played against Seattle. I think that was back in December. They were in town. And he came into the booth and said hi. And like I said, just his passion for hockey in general and the love for the Red Wings. He gave a shout out to the the Red Wings broadcasters that helped him along the way. Great guy. Big Everett. Everett Fitzhugh fan. I think we've been down this road before. If you happen to have a career in sports, in a way, you're living a dream, really. Oh, of course. You really, really are. And so, and you can tell that he is enjoying every minute of it. He really does love it. And speaking of love, yesterday was Valentine's Day. Here's today's Two Minute Minor with Mo Sider. Mo, Valentine's Day was this week. And I know that you guys won't be in town for it, but I'm sure your girl is still going to want some kind of Valentine's Day celebration, right? What's your ideal Valentine's Day? Uh, you know, the, the way it worked out this year probably isn't too bad. You're with the, you're with the guys on the road. Uh, you make sure you send some flowers home, um, maybe a little gift. And um, I think that's, that's as good as it gets this year. Uh, ideally, probably, I don't know, something nice. You go off for a little brunch. Um, I don't know, maybe uh, get, a, get a massage or something. I think it would be kind of cool or nice, uh, relaxing. Finished up, I don't know, taking the time, making a nice dinner or something, uh, something you wouldn't do every day. And um, probably got to finish it up by, I don't know, watching a romance movie or something where... Hopefully I fall asleep pretty easily. <laughs> Love that, a little rom-com. So if you were going to cook the meal, what's your go-to? Oh, I don't really have a go-to. Something we, we've been enjoying doing together is usually doing a lasagna. Um, you know, it just takes a little more time. Um, plenty of time to uh, find something to either argue about or, or laugh about. And um, I think we're doing a pretty good job of that. 
Is it Joe Valeno's lasagna recipe? Uh, no, um, but I gotta tell his uh, his mom and his grandma they're doing a, they're doing a phenomenal lasagna, which I had the uh, pleasure to in, enjoy already. Okay, and last one for you: If you're going for candy on Valentine's Day, or maybe someone's gonna get you candy, what kind do you want? Um, oh, I'm big on chocolate, honestly. Those. Uh, so I don't know if it's Lindor or Lint, those uh, little red balls. I think they're they're the best, and obviously red theme. Um, yeah, should be should be pretty good. <laughs> All right, thank you, Mo. Appreciate your time. You know, Art Mo better hope that his girlfriend doesn't listen to this podcast because he was pretty excited to spend Valentine's Day with the boys on the road. <laughs> well, I, I think we can call him Mister Romance from yeah. here on out. I mean, yeah, he he definitely must be a joy to have as a boyfriend. And but uh, you know, years ago I I did a very similar piece, and Marty Lapointe told me, "What what do you?" He goes. I get her nothing. She has me. And he oh, was dead boy. serious. So, you know, Mo's a little bit better than Marty. Yeah, definitely. But he did say, you know, I'm with the boys. Ideally, we'd like to have our nice little day. He included a massage, which is great. And then talked about cooking dinner, maybe getting in an argument and then falling asleep during a rom-com. <laughs> you, you, you know what, though? It didn't seem like he was just picking things out of the air randomly that he was, okay, massage and, oh, dinner. Okay, movie. I mean, you know, he... But that's the point of this, right? Like, I put him on the spot and say, you got to think. Like, you, you've got to think about this stuff. Mo, what would you do? And he was thinking about being on the road with the Red With Wings. the boys. Yeah, that, that was his response. You got to love it. You got to love it. Art, you're a solo this Valentine's Day, too. Michelle is across the world. She's in Bangladesh as we speak, yes. But if she was here, where would you take her for Valentine's Day? Or what would you do? Well, you know, we have, uh, uh, you know, a little, a few little spots that we like to go to, uh, you know, a very, very quiet uh, uh, dinner. And, uh, you know, it's really weird. It, 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 holidays are strange as you get older because you get reflective, too, because you spent so many of them already. And, uh, uh, you know, you just reminisce about, you know, when you first met and, you know, first dates and you know, proposals and things like that. I mean, you, you know, you get a little more reflective, I think. And so it's just really a good night. And, and I think what really happens is, is that you know why you're with somebody, why you love them, why mm -hmm. they love you. And I, I just think that really it's, uh, it's just cool, you know? You're gonna, you never ask me what I do. I always well, have to, know, like, bring it up myself. Well, no, I, I hate what, it. <laughs> you know, I know what you're going to do. You're going to run errands for Vince. Vince is, <laughs> Vince is gone, too. I just realized that he's in Florida for work. He's at a work conference. So me and Charlie are hanging out on Valentine's Beautiful. Day. Well, well I, could, I could bring up the three cats and yeah. Crazy Poppy, who's constantly I'm biting gonna, me. So, I like Valentine's Day. I think it's cute. I think it's fun. But I also kind of think it's a little hallmarky. I fall in that category. So, like, if Vince was home, we probably we would just hang out, maybe get some takeout, stay home, and just enjoy each other's company. When you give Vince a card, do you also give him a card from Charlie? Yeah, it's always signed Daniela and Charlie. So see what I do. <laughs> I, I, I give a separate, I get a serious card, a funny card signed oh, by you me. Buy two. And then each cat Three? sends a card. Because there's, That's look, obnoxious. if you go to Hallmark, no, 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 because it's funny because, you know, you put little saints on it. <laughs> Because there are so many freaking cat cards. <laughs> I can't believe it. I mean, dogs are getting the short end of the stick. 
because cat people are crazy. Yeah, dog they, people don't go buy a card specifically from the dog. That's only cat people. Yeah, you know. So they have to and, cater and, you know, to and, their... And I'm left-handed, so I'll write with my right hand, like the cat, like write, write their names. Because, you know, and it's, it's like the cat wrote it. Yes, this is totally a cat person yeah, it's thing. Very, it's, very it's very odd. It's very But Michelle enjoys it, so. Oh, that's funny. Very cute. Love that. Happy Valentine's Day, everybody. I yes. hope you celebrated very nicely with your significant other. And hopefully you didn't say, yeah, this is time for the boys. Note to people, it's not time for the boys. It's always time for the boys. It's not time for the boys. (laughs) (laughs) All right, that wraps up today's episode of the Red and White Authority, brought to you by Labatt Blue. Art, take it away. Oh, it is the official (laughs) Canadian beer of the Detroit Red Wings, and we do ask you that you drink our premium beer responsibly. As a matter of fact, I know that Daniela and Charlie will be enjoying a few Labats tonight. We will. I do share it with Charlie too, by the way. So we will. A dog be doing that drinks. That. I love it. <laughs> you bite your cats by cards. My dog drinks. So that, that's what we do here. There you go. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll see you next week.